Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of the Wednesday Conversation. I'm Bethany Gilbert and I'm here with Pastor Bob Thune and Pastor Dusty White of Quorumdeo Church and special guest Kevin Huddleston, also of Quorumdeo Church. Every Wednesday we sit down to talk about how the gospel of Jesus Christ connects to the questions and issues of everyday life and today we're talking about differentiating between ethics and care. Hey, welcome back. Yeah. Dusty White from vacation. Here I am. Good Happy to, to be here. here. Kevin Huston, welcome again to the studio. Good to be here. I'm going to say it was difficult keeping two seats warm, Dusty, last week. So thanks wow. for being here. You did a great yeah. job. Hey, I appreciate that. Chris, we need you, but you think have he's to keep your seat warm. You think Chris is listening? Well, Chris is not. Oh. He better not be listening. He's supposed to just be resting and enjoying the Lord. So maybe he is listening. Maybe he's on his way back, like on a long road trip, needing a lot to listen to, in which case he's probably catching up on all these episodes. Just like you and I would be. Exactly. I do. I'm a regular listener to the Wednesday conversation, <laughs> even though I already recorded it. I already listened. I also listened to it. Hey, uh, how are you liking being back to every week listeners? Pretty great, right? I mean, every other week's just a hard frequent. I don't do anything on an every other week basis. Send us your podcast topics. Oh yeah. Thank you. We do need some. I feel like the email has kind of slow slowed. We haven't gotten as many emails with podcast topics. Yeah, I guess ideas. we haven't. Because I think they're like, oh, you're talking about you Theology. only do two podcasts a month. Yeah. So send, some, send <laughs> us some podcast topics. Yeah. Hey, uh, this one, this topic today was is spurred by a thing that I've been reflecting on probably for the last month or two in, in relation to some topics we've been doing on culture. And it's kind of a pastoral burden that I have for the people of God that resurfaces about every 10 years um, in various forms and in various ways. And the resurfacing looks something like this. Um, there comes a moment in the world around us where people start conflating Christian ethics with care or discipleship or ministry um, to, to where the, the narrative basically becomes, um, if you say I'm wrong, you don't love me. Or if you disagree with me, you don't love me. Or if you say that this is a wrong decision, there's no possible way you could be out for my good. And I think we're in another one of those moments. They ebb and flow, but I think this sort of, um, a, a lot of the discourse around, especially transgenderism right now and gender issues has come to this place where it's like, hey, um, the only way we can care for people is to affirm their choices and decisions. And this podcast is basically just a chance for us to say, nah, that's not true. Um, and to say, actually, the 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 goal of the church and of pastors and leaders in the church and of any Christian is to hold to the, the historic Christian ethic while at the same time displaying kindness and care toward people who in all kinds of various ways struggle to live up to that ethic. Mm. And actually both of those things are good and right and noble. It's not true that to love someone I have to give up on an ethic, nor is it true that to hold to an ethic I have to be a jerk. And those are, those seem to be the yeah. two, the two sides of the horse that people fall off on. And so this is basically, this podcast is basically about that differentiation, differentiating Christian ethics from care and saying, Hey, we can actually have both. We can have a robust, firm, convictional ethic about what is right and wrong, good and bad. And we can love people and that whoever says we can't do that, you need to disagree with them. And whoever says you're not doing that, you need to politely say, no, actually I am. Um, 
I've got a few examples of how this is playing out, but what are you thinking, Dusty? You look like you got a thought. I hear you saying ethics are good, care is good, and those two things are not opposed to one another. Yes, and I think I'm concerned for two things. I'm thinking about this as a pastor, and so I think I want to encourage pastors like, hey, your job as a pastor is to teach Christian ethics and to practice pastoral care. I also have a concern for Christians in general to have a robust grasp of both of these things, because here's what I feel as a pastor. It's actually part of my job when I'm teaching the Bible to stand in front of people and say, hey, certain things are right and other things are wrong. And every time I have to do that in a sermon, there's something in my soul that realizes 10% of this room or maybe 30% of this room is going to hear me saying something that I'm not saying. So they're going to hear me saying, um, I don't love the person who struggles with this issue because I'm saying the Bible says something about this issue, right? For me to say there's a clear ethical imperative here in scripture, somehow me, somehow we have a hard time hearing that, I think, in our modern world. And as pastors, I think it takes courage to say that. Um, and I think I experienced the other challenge when I'm sitting in my uh, study and talking with someone, you know, person to person who's struggling with a particular issue or situation and where I have to say like, Hey, there's actually, there's actually a clear ethical imperative here. Sometimes that's hard to do and to have the courage to do it. So part of this is just to help Christians say these, both of these categories should exist in you and they should not be in conflict in you. You should be okay saying there is a firm, clear biblical ethical imperative, a set of ethical imperatives. And I can hold to those with conviction while also loving people who either don't share my convictions about that or who might be all over the map in terms of how they're living in light of those ethical convictions. Mm. And in all over the map, I might just be royally confused yep. right now in the cultural water that we're swimming in. Yep. So let me, uh, there's an interesting example of the exact problem that I think we're all facing or feeling um, from a Senate hearing a couple weeks ago. Uh, this is a U.S. Senator on the committee uh, dialoguing with a professor Um on the issue of transgenderism. And I want you to listen to just this little 15 second clip of the dialogue. Because denying that trans people exist and pretending not to know that they exist. I'm is denying dangerous. that trans people exist by asking Are you? you if you're talking Are you? about women Are you? having pregnancies. Do you believe that the, uh, men can get pregnant? No, I don't think women can <laughs> so get pregnant. So you are denying that trans people exist? Okay, so that obviously that clip is colored by politics. There's a particular senator who has a particular political side of the aisle. There's a particular person testifying who's on the other side of the political aisle, and there's a little bit of politics playing out, and they're trying to score points. Mm. If you can just set that aside for a minute and realize what was just said, she's saying, if you don't say that men can have babies, you are denying that trans people exist. Mm. That is factually incorrect. That is not a true statement. It is not true to say, if I believe that men cannot have children, that means I'm denying the existence of a group of people in our culture who struggle with transgenderism. That's just not true, but that's the narrative that this person is saying. If you don't, if, if you can't possibly say this is an ethical truth or a, or a creation order truth that men cannot have babies, you can't say that and be a person who honors and cares about trans people. That's one of the narratives that's out there and a way that this plays out in our society. And I think that's an example of the exact kind of thing where we as Christians need to say, we need to have the courage to say, nope, that's goofy and wrong and actually evil. 
And there are fewer and fewer Christians who are willing to say that. And I think in that case in particular, because it's a political context, it's like, well, if I say that, then I'm, I'm agreeing with mm. the senator and disagreeing with the person. And so that must mean I agree with the politics of that. No, none of that is true. You can just, you can just disagree with the statement that's being made and actually what that sender was expressing, despite whether you agree with his political views or not, is true. It is not the case that a man can give birth to a child. That is not a true statement. Uh, nor should anybody anywhere affirm the truth of that statement because it is just simply false. And yet there's a lot of pressure in our culture right now to affirm statements like that or to say that if you don't affirm that, you can't possibly be a loving and caring person. Yeah, I realize things are really heightened right now, Bob, but part of me is asking the question, when did we, how did we get to this spot? And maybe this is where you want to go. Maybe it's not, so feel free to pass. But um, when did we start conflating our beliefs and our views about life with our own identity? Because that's where it feels like the conflation's happening and a response like that is um, my belief equals truth. You know, it's a little, goes back to, I think, our podcast on Truman's, you know, view of the modern self and how things have developed. But it doesn't, if I think back to like the eighties and nineties, I realize a different moment in our, you know, nation's history, but no one was having that fight at that point. And uh, so, I think there were people who were, it was just much more of a minority of the population. I mean, it was, there were still people who thought like that woman and who would have said like, man, you can't possibly disagree with me and love me. Mm. That people have said that for a long time. I just don't think it was the dominant narrative in the culture. What's sure. different now is it feels like, oh yeah, that's actually the same thing that the principal at my kid's school thinks and the same thing mm -hmm. that my friend at the coffee shop thinks and the same thing that my neighbor next door thinks. Like it feels like that's much more become the culturally accepted way of thinking. And therefore I think for Christians, whereas in the eighties and nineties, it felt like, nah, when we say like, no, that's ridiculous. We're in the mainstream. Now, when we say, no, that's ridiculous. It's like, oh, Mm. And everybody thinks we're wrong to say mm. that or, th or thinks it's, we shouldn't say that. You're and that, wrong and mean. Right. At the same time. And, and so I think what I see that doing is it's doing two things to Christians. It's either making us cowards mm. where we're not willing to say, nope, that's wrong. Or it's making us brittle where we, where the way we say it is like with a big, big middle finger on, on social media, you know, symbolically yeah. speaking, where it's like, we kind of double down with a hardened posture. And, um, I don't. I don't think the scriptures call us to either of those things, but I do think the scriptures call us to um, gentleness and respect toward human beings, but boldness and clarity toward first order ethical truths. Um, and I want Christians to live in that, in that world with mm -hmm. clarity. Mm -hmm. I'm curious to hear you, Bob, think through if you can, how Christians can interact in the public square in this kind of, in this kind of manner. Cause what I hear you saying is someone has a truth statement or there's a dominant narrative in the culture that's different from the Christian worldview. I think where myself and I think others would say is I'm hesitant to speak into that. Cause it's like, well, this isn't the church. This, I don't want to force my morality on my neighbor. Uh, I want to honor respect, but I give, it's almost like we're willing to give so much deference and honor and respect to what our neighbors are thinking and saying and wanting to, to, to lean into the love piece and not the truth piece because of, again, the heightened tensions in the cultural moment. So it's, how do we, how do we vary that in a way that's, uh, I want to care about good and, and contend for good and also see, Hey, the scripture is grounding in what is good and true. It should, there's a, if, if it's a public discourse with people and neighbors, their view is no lesser greater than my view. And actually ours has the scriptures grounded grounding them. Right. So how do we, without lording that over our neighbor, 
gently and honoringly have courage in those conversations? I just, maybe that's the wrong question because I think, why would you think that having courage and honesty equals lording it over your neighbor? I just don't like, I, I think as you ask that question, I'm like, you're probably not a person that your neighbors would ever experience. Like Kevin, you're trying to lord it over me again and <laughs> enforce your ethical view. I just don't think you're that kind of person. Mm. Some people are sure. But I just think the average Christian who feels that is like, you're feeling something that's not true. Mm. You, what you need to be able to do is to say, Hey, you know what? Men can't have babies. And sorry if you think they can, but that's just ridiculous. They mm. can't. Well, and they haven't since the beginning of right. Time. I mean, th there's a, there's a thousands of years of human history here that says that's just not a reality. So I don't think that's imposing my ethical view. I think it's speaking my ethical view. And I think we've confused or we've conflated somehow saying something or having a conviction about something with the idea that it feels forceful for me to say that. Hmm. And so I just think like to answer the question, the, the way you asked the question, Kevin, was how can we express our views in the public square? And I think the answer is by expressing them in the public square. And I think that's what we're cowardly to do is to say, oh, well, if I say that publicly, here's what's going to happen. <laughs> I'm going to get beat up by, you know, all kinds of people. Right. I also think, um, let me just say this uh, in as pastoral a way as I can. Social media is not the public square. Amen, brother. Really? Everybody thinks it is. It is a public square or it is an expression of some fraction of the public square. But I think I care a lot more about um, expressing myself at the local school board meeting or to my neighbors or at my neighborhood association than I do about social media. And right now I think what everybody believes is like, if I say something on social media, I've said it in the public square. <laughs> it's sure. just like, no, it's, Haven't said it's anything, actually, actually not the same if thing. If I've posted my, my idea out here, right. then it's, it's public. It yes. is public, but it's not yours. What all of those examples that you just gave, by the way, are embodied. Right. Yeah. Disembodied is different. Yeah. Yeah. And I, so I think part of, I think I said this a few podcasts ago, but part of what we need to recapture is actually a dialogue with your neighbor where you disagree is really good. Mm. I just got a text from a friend of mine um, in another state a few weeks ago, actually commenting on one of our recent podcasts. And what he said was, Hey, I got, I have a running partner who's like totally on the opposite side of the political spectrum from me, but we run together regularly and it's actually become really sharpening because we just disagree like crazy about stuff, but there's enough of a relationship there to sustain the disagreement. So we just like, we fight about stuff. We argue about stuff, but we're just, we're at the end of the day, we're running partners. And so we're going to go running tomorrow, even if we end our run today, feeling like we're on different pages politically. Those are the kinds of relationships we need. And that's what social media can't provide. So I, I, I guess what I'm saying is I want Christians. I think what Christians need is the kind of ethical courage that says to <laughs> that can look at my neighbor and say, hey, man, if you think men can have babies, you're ridiculous. But that the relationship is what sustains that rather than the lack of relationship that's present in most of our lives right now, because social media is like, is like what stands in for quote unquote, the public square. So, and in the lack of courage, I, I have less and less friends like me. I have less and less of those running partners, so right. to speak. So I'm just going to avoid those people because I either might offend them or they don't align with me. Right. So I'm just out. There's a, I also think there's a ton of fear driving many Christians right now because we realize that, um, there's a dominant cultural narrative that we're supposed to that we're supposed to agree with, and if we don't agree with, there's going to be social consequences. I remember this has been like eight years ago, nine years ago. 
there's a young guy who is a member here at Cormdale who's since moved to another city and his company was like starting to do a bunch of, um, you know, diversity initiatives. And it was all like affirming GLBT, you know, LGBTQIA plus whatever, whatever the current acronym is, you know? And he was basically like, Hey man, this is all coming down from HR and it's kind of like not an option. What am I supposed to do as a Christian? And I was like, that's a really good question. Because he's just like, basically like, they're not giving the option of like, Hey, do you, do you want to put this pride flag on your office door? It's kind of like, Hey, we're all putting pride flags on our office door. Well, you know, so I think that's, that's the kind of cultural and social pressure Christians feel right now is like, well, there's a way that you're supposed to think. And if you don't think that way, um, you must be a bad person. And this is exactly the place where I'm suggesting I think Christians need to have the kind of ethical courage that just says, mm, nah, um, I think differently about that topic. If you want to know why I'd love to talk about it, but, but I, I know what I think on this. It's not, I'm not like fuzzy and unclear on how I think about, you know, certain ethical issues. Um, and that's maybe the place where I feel we're talking now about like my relationship with the culture and with my workplace and with my neighbors, but mm -hmm. I'm saying even within the church, I think I, I feel this sort of like collective hesitancy on just stating things with ethical conviction um, in ways that are clear but generous, clear but gentle. And so part of what we're trying to do as podcast is just say, well, let's get over that and be okay with having clear ethics and gentleness at the same time. Mm -hmm. When I felt this recently as a pastor was when the, um, when the uh, Dobbs decision came down from the Supreme Court and I realized I need to say something about this on Sunday morning. And I was trying to craft my words of like, what am I going to say that both celebrates this decision, but also acknowledges that I know there are people in the room who feel tension about this decision. And I spent as much time working on that statement, which was what, like 45 seconds, 60 seconds, uh, and then a pastoral prayer. So I guess the whole section was maybe like, let's say three minutes of our worship service. I spent as much time working on that as I do working on a sermon. Cause it was just, that's how complicated it felt to me of just like, I need to be very ethically clear, but I also need to be pastorally careful and, and loving, charitable, charitable. Yeah. And it just felt like a beating of, <laughs> it was a lot of mental work. And I realized one, one, I'm thankful to be able to do that work. Cause I think it matters. And I think it's important. And I think the people at our church appreciate that we try to be careful and thoughtful and, and theologically rich in moments like that. But I also realized, man, the reason this feels so hard is because as soon as I get up and say, I want to say something about the Supreme court case, everybody's going to think something about what I'm going to say next. There's gonna be people who think I should be like, we better have fireworks going off. And there's going to be people who think whatever you say, I'm going to be walking out of here angry. I, I just felt all of that laying out there in the room and I think part of what I was feeling was this thing like our, our, the average person in our church does not know how to differentiate ethics from care. And so we just can't say like, Hey, actually abortion is wrong. And we're really glad that it is now illegal in our country. And man, I love you. Even if you disagree, like we just have a hard time embracing that as being possible as a reality. So you've, you mentioned uh, moments ago, uh, talk about the creative order you mentioned that two different, two different times. So talk a little bit, Bob, in your mind, at least about how this is working. Like, how do I, how do I stand ethically on created order as a Christian? 
and still genuinely care for somebody. We're going to talk about this more in our next podcast because we're actually going to tackle some more specific categories related to some of these things. But essentially what I want Christians to um, have a better category for is if, if the narrative of scripture is creation, fall, redemption, and new creation or consummation, we tend to spend most of our time as Christians, as disciple makers, and as leaders in the categories of fall and redemption. So, we, you know, we talk about sin and brokenness and the fallenness of the world, and we talk about Christ and redemption and the cross and all of that. What we often spend less time on is creation and new creation. Because let's be honest, creation is Genesis 1 and 2. New creation is Revelation 21 and 22. Everything else is in those other two categories. But when we talk about things like gender and sexuality, we are talking about creation categories. Even when we talk about things like what is God's design for X? What is God's design for the human body? What is God's design for human society? What is God's design for human relationships? What is God's design for how human beings ought to relate to one another? When we talk about what is God's design for X or what did God intend for X, we're talking about creation. And in many of these issues that are now sort of the ethical fights in our culture, we're talking about creation categories. We're talking about how, well, how did God intend the world to be? And Christians need to have a bigger and more courageous vision of what world we're living in, who created us, and how did God create us? Because that's what we need to lean into. A lot of these uh, fights we're having, redemption is part of the category, but what, what's being redeemed is the original good of what God intended. And so when we think about, um, you know, issues of gender and those kinds of things, we're talking about created bodies, biology, how God made us. Um, we got to have a, bit, a bigger creation category to speak mm -hmm. about those things. Which I think is helpful in a gospel-centered context or a uh, yes, gospel, Jesus-focused, yeah. Jesus yeah. you know, context. Mm. Gospel-centered is bigger than cross-centered Yeah, is one way to say that, right? Mm. We're not just talking about Jesus died for sin. We're talking about the whole redemptive arc of Scripture, mm. creation to new creation. Yeah. The other thing, Bob, I hear you saying is, hey, there's a call to courage here. Mm -hmm. You know, speak boldly and humbly to neighbors mm -hmm. and actually have conversations with people and not the airwaves. Um, even though we're on the airwaves listener, we appreciate you so much for tuning in. Um, <laughs> this is not, we're not picking airwaves. fights. Um, but the other thing I hear you saying is, which I don't know if we have fully embraced this as American Western Christians, but there's a call to embracing the cultural cost to being yeah. a Christian yeah. that we haven't quite we don't like come that. around to. No, we yeah. not. And I think this is, it, again, it's not going away. It's not new, but it's just getting more and more intense. And so I think what what you're describing as resistance to do certain things in, in the local church and on our streets and in our workplaces is like, I don't want to have to lose cultural credibility with people yet. Yeah. I'm still trying to cling to that. And I'm, I'm wondering, and I'm thankful for this conversation because it's like, no, actually I need to rethink my life and how to actually embrace that and step into these conversations and knowing because of new creation, because of where we're headed, that's the thing I need to cling to is future hope yep. because otherwise I'm not going to have courage in this moment to surrender and you know, cash out any kind of cultural credibility. I don't want to do that. Yes. But unless I'm believing more fully in the future hope. Well, and I think there's, for me, Kevin, I, th this might just be unique to who I am, but there's also a piece of just standing in a tradition. Like I think, okay, yeah, I'm going to, if I, if I really believe in Christian ethics, I'm probably going to lose some social capital. There's some of my neighbors and associates who are going to think I'm backwards and bigoted and, you know, old and ridiculous. But I'm also standing in a really historic tradition that a lot of people have stood in. And like, I actually have some joy in that. I'm just like, yeah, I don't care if you think I'm crazy. 
2000 years of history says Christians have always thought this way. And so I'm just not changing. I'm not, I'm not stepping out of that tradition. So there's something about that that I think actually can gain cultural capital, especially in a world where it feels very fragmented and no one really has a tradition to stand in. Mm. When people say like, Hey, why do you think that Kevin? And you're like, well, this is just how Christians have thought traditionally. This is just the Christian ethic on this. People go, Oh, well, I think it's, a, I don't agree with the ethic, but there's something respectable about the fact that it's old and you're right. It's like, it's long held. So I might still think you're wrong and I might still think that's a backwards ethic, but I can't think that it's just Kevin's ethic. Like mm-hmm. my issue can't just be with you. My issue, my quarrel now is with Christianity. And that's kind of what I want to encourage Christians to do is say, Hey, make the, if people want to fight with you, make the fight about Christianity. It's not about you and your position on transgenderism or abortion or, you know, whatever the issue might be right. that the quarrel is with Christianity. And that's, that's a funner place to stand. Cause then I feel like, well, I, at least there's some people that got my back. They might all be dead, but at least they got my back. You know, I also think just real quick thought, if you want to feel less crazy, read about the first 300 years of the Christian church, yeah. right? It's in the Roman culture, the Roman values of the human body, the human existence, yes. sexuality. You're like, wow. Things aren't as bad as they are, you know, exactly as they were. We've been here before, friends. Right. Yeah, we we have traditionally, but maybe we haven't if I'm 40 and younger or 35 and younger, right? What do you mean? I'm just meaning this is a a culturally courageous moment that Christians collectively, let's say 40 and younger, haven't necessarily felt on much. We've never had to be courageous. Yeah. Why I mean, do you maybe, think, do you think maybe people a, over 40 have had to be? Well, I'm just saying like, you know, you have, you have Roe v. Wade in 73. So I'm just saying like culturally, there's some places where we've decided if I'm 45 or something, I've, I've had to like, I remember like to your story. Not that you are 45, Dusty. No, no, I'm only 42, but I'm saying (laughs) hypothetically, if somebody were, then, you know, they, they might remember, um, having to take a stand on something, having to take a stand on something. I'm just saying like, it's okay if you feel the pressure now to have to be courageous and it almost kind of feels new. Yeah, I see your point. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. Um, all right. So here's the takeaway for listeners. Christian ethics, pastoral and Christian care can coexist. These two categories need to be robust in our minds, a firm grasping and holding to Christian ethics and a generous and loving care. And I actually think the past 50 years of the church's action on abortion has borne this out, meaning the, the churches I have been in and generally the, the whole Protestant and Catholic tradition for the last 50 years has been of pretty much one voice that abortion is a moral wrong, that this is not something that is a, a good that should be celebrated, but actually, rather this is an evil that should be minimized and obliterated from our culture. And yet, though we've had moral clarity on the wrong of abortion, the church has done amazing things to love, care for, support women who have been faced with those kinds of decisions, women who have made decisions not to have an abortion, women who have had abortions and need forgiveness and healing. The, the church has, has been incredibly um, engaged in all kinds of care and support and help and healing for human beings while also having a very clear position ethically. Mm. And so if we can use that as an analog, that's what we need to go forward with is to say, hey, having a clear conviction ethically does not prohibit us from loving and caring for our neighbor, even when they disagree with that ethic. 
And our, our activism and our history on abortion in America has proven that to be true. So let's just continue applying that playbook when it comes to things like gender, when it comes to thing like, things like education, when it comes to things like transgenderism or all the other issues that are sort of polarizing in our culture right now. Let's apply that same script because that's where we need to land is to say there's a clear ethical good and we are capable of loving people regardless of whether they embrace or do not embrace that position or of that ethical good. And it's good that we have a Bible that's got both the Sermon on the Mount and Jesus's interaction in John 4, the woman at the well. We yes. get a human experience of somebody loving someone in a position that is in dear need, but is also lost ethically and morally. Yeah. Preach that. The goal of this podcast is to equip our own church for discipleship and mission. So if you're a Christian or a church leader in another context, we thank you for listening in. And we pray that this conversation might be helpful to you as you minister in your context. We love to hear from listeners. So if you have thoughts, questions, or future podcast topics, send an email to podcast at cdomaha.com. Thanks for listening. And we'll see you next Wednesday for another episode of the Wednesday Conversation.